six days ago, shortly after 8 o'clock at night, a masked gunman walked into a classroom at Michigan State University, a place where Nancy and I both attended. Walked into a classroom in Berkey Hall and began shooting recklessly at students, killing two and injuring others. Frantic students called 911 while others hid behind desks. Some students broke out windows and jumped out to escape the shooting. Others stayed behind, cared for the wounded. Police soon entered the classroom scene and to respond to an active crime scene, only to find out the killer had escaped into a nearby building and where he killed another student before leaving once again on foot. An alert went out to thousands of students on campus, pleading with them to lock their doors, to hunker down, to turn off their lights, to mute their cell phones and shelter in place because of an active shooter on campus that nobody knew where he was. Within minutes, hundreds of police and FBI agents and paramedics and officials flooded the campus as they attended to the wounded and began systematically searching through buildings and dorms looking for the gunman. This fear-filled evening lasted four hours as students and faculty members and all members of the MSU campus waited without knowledge of when or if the killer would be found. During this time, the East Lansing police scanner was filled with countless false reports as police responded to campus tips all over the place that shots were heard in various dorms and various buildings and in the woods nearby and panic struck the entire place. Parents from all over the country were anxiously texting or FaceTiming with their frightened children, locked down in classrooms and dorm rooms, not knowing if they were truly safe. Finally, after a tip from an alert citizen several miles off campus, the killer was spotted and approached by police officers before he ultimately took his own life. The search was over, but the damage was far from done. In the aftermath, it was determined that three students were killed in the rampage and five others were rushed to a nearby hospital in critical condition with at least one now who was paralyzed from a shot that severed his spinal cord. But understand that this tragedy has produced way more than eight victims. Thousands upon thousands of students have been traumatized by this event, questioning their security in day-to-day movements after surviving a four-hour ordeal, believing that they might be next. In the days that followed, there were prayer vigils and funerals and many tears shed. And as people turn to God in a tragedy like this, what answers can He give us? Is healing possible? Is peace attainable? Is there hope on the other side of sorrow? Does God see our tears? Does He feel our pain? 
Is He personally connected to our grief and our loss? Psalm 34, verse 18. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. When you hurt, God hurts. He is close to the brokenhearted. He understands when your spirit has been crushed, when your joy has been stolen, and when your soul is deeply wounded. When you grieve, He is near. His compassions fail not. The Gospels record that Jesus was moved with compassion to come alongside of people, of those who were lost and sick and in need of His touch. Likewise, it is true for you as well. God is willing to step into your pain and let you know that He is near and that He desires to hold you close. He understands your pain and your loss and how it affects all that you do. He gives you grace to stand and He also gives you grace to fall. But He lets you know that when you fall, you can fall into His arms. For He loves us as an everlasting Father. And as you continue to trust Him, He will bring you through a difficult time of grief and loss. We all go through it. There are many seasons of life and we all, we all go through a season of grief and loss. And sometimes we shame ourselves because we think that we should be better or stronger or we don't want to cry in front of others or we don't want to appear weak. And yet that's one of the natural seasons of life. God will bring us through that season. Day by day, He will deposit exactly what we need into our heart and our soul and our minds. He does this by first inviting you to be honest with Him. To let Him know you are hurting or angry or sad or confused or just numb. He is big enough to handle your emotions. He gives you grace to be yourself. Especially when we don't even give ourselves grace to be ourselves. But God does. He gives you permission to feel any feeling you have as you turn to Him in your time of need. If you don't believe me, look at the, read the book of Psalms. In fact, pray the book of Psalms. There's times when I really need an uplifting word and I go to the Psalms and David is crying out, God smite my enemies. And they're like, no, I want something comforting. But what it is is God saying, you can be real with me. You can let me know you're frustrated. You can let me know the enemies are coming over you. You can let me know whatever you're feeling because I gave you feelings. As you pray the Psalms, you'll see that God, many times the psalmist begins with complaining and venting, and at the end of the psalm, he's praising God. Because God says, give it all to me. God knows what we are going through. Even Jesus Himself cried when his friend Lazarus died. Indeed, he is close to the brokenhearted, for he has been there as well. Yet one of the most beautiful passages of promise that we can find in Scripture is found in Psalm 126, verses 5 and 6. It says this, Those who sow in tears 
will reap with songs of joy. Those who go out weeping, carrying seed to sow, will return with songs of joy, carrying sheaves with them. We're so short-minded. We think that sowing has to be money or has to be things that we give. And yet God's saying, if you sow tears on His tears, you will reap joy. What does that mean? It means when you are honest with your grief and you give God your tears without shame, without excuse, without holding back, and you are sowing honesty into your relationship with God. What does God want more than anything? He wants your honesty. As you continue to trust Him and seek Him in prayer, God waters these seeds of honesty that you are sowing in your season of grief. You don't have to be all fixed up in front of God. You don't have to apologize that you have feelings of anger or feelings of vengeance or feelings of confusion or even feelings of doubt. God says, will you just be honest with me? And as you do that, you are sowing those seeds into your relationship with God. And then, in time, God will cause you to reap joy in various forms. Sometimes this joy is a newly found peace that you didn't think was possible. Sometimes this joy is an understanding on a deeper level that didn't exist before. Sometimes this joy is in a new friend or an open door of opportunity or a greater revelation of who God is to you. Whatever you reap from trusting God during your difficult times of grief and loss, you can be assured that His love for you is greater than you ever could know. And He seeks to hold you close and never let you go. This is the God we serve. The One who leads with love. The One who truly is our Good Shepherd. And whether you are currently in a season of grief or, or not, we all know that there are many around us in our families, in our neighborhoods, in our places of work, and in our communities who are hurting deeply right now. There are many who have experienced great pain and great loss. There are many who are angry, confused, hurt, numb, and crying out for answers. This is not the time to say to them that everything will be all right. And it's not the time to placate them by saying that you will keep them in your thoughts. This is the time to introduce them to your God. The One who knows their pain. Who feels their hurt. Who sees their tears. And who understands exactly what it's like to lose a loved one. This is the God that we all need to share. This is the grace and the compassion that we need to extend. This is the love that we need to live by our deliberate actions and our kind and encouraging words. This is who God has called us to be in the days we now live. 
What are you doing to be Jesus to the world today? Our priorities are not to be consumed with ourselves, with our desires and with our plans, but rather with His. Ephesians 5.14 Therefore, He says, Awake, you who sleep. Arise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. If we have found ourselves, like many have, lulled to sleep, spiritually, by the endless temptation to focus merely on ourselves, to complain about what we don't have, or how bad we think we have it, then it's time for a wake-up call. It's time for us to arise and wake up from our sleep. When you consider what those Spartan families experienced this last week, what those thousands of kids went through in terror at the hands of an evil man, it should give all of us pause. Father, forgive us for complaining, for thinking that our lives are unjust or our trials can compare to the great loss of others. Lead us out of the darkness of our selfish thoughts and bring us into Your light. Awaken our senses to Your will in this earth and to Your purpose for our lives. Cause us to be led with compassion just like Jesus. Give us Your words to speak and Your discernment to listen and comfort others without judging them. And give us Your grace to love others into Your eternal kingdom. Ephesians 5:15 and 16. See then that you walk circumspectly. Now that's the word we don't use often. Circum means around and spect means to see. You see, what he's saying is we need to look around us too often. The enemy tries to get us to focus on what we don't have. We're looking inwardly. What we don't have and woe is me and pity for me and this is bad and this is unfair. And when we are told the exact opposite, to look circumspectly, to look around those people that are right under our noses, those people in our family and our neighbors, those people who we come across in the supermarket and in the restaurant, look circumspectly. When we do that, we can be assured that God's going to take care of our needs because we're taking care of His. His kingdom. Walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise. Redeeming the time because the days are evil. We saw that experience this past week. As Christian brothers and sisters, we are resolutely called to redeem the time. Time is our most valuable resource. We can waste it by blowing it on useless things that have no eternal value or just fill it by staying busy but never really accomplishing anything. We can also multiply the power of time by getting others to work with us But to redeem the time takes a purposeful approach to what we do. To fully take advantage of the limited time that each of us has been given. 
How limited is that? We can't even understand. But maybe you can grasp a small of this. Think of each of our lives as one drop of water. Now think of that one drop of water in all the oceans of this world. Our life compared to the ocean. And then think of a million worlds of oceans like that. And it's still not as long as eternity. We've been given a limited amount of time. What are we doing with that time? That's why we're called to redeem our time. If you truly are redeeming the time, then you fully acknowledge that God's time is more important than your time. That His will supersedes your will. And that His purposes take the driver's seat. Life is too short to argue about frivolous things, to hold grudges, to get lost in debates, or to complain about politics. It's too short for that. We've been called to redeem our time, meaning that each day and each hour and each minute is an opportunity to encourage one another, to lift up those in need in prayer, to come alongside of people in grief, not to fix them, but to close our mouths and just to listen to their hearts. To offer understanding without judgment and to be Jesus to this world. The body of Christ was established to be the hope of the world. I asked you a question. Are you doing enough to make this clear to anyone who is on the outside right now? That the body of the Christ is to be the hope of the world. Are you doing enough? No. None of us are. But the rubber only meets the road where brothers and sisters in Christ can freely admit this and then choose to be God's light in this world. We need to let His light shine. We need to not let Satan blow it out. We need to not hide it under a bushel. We need to keep shining His light until Jesus comes. How do we do this? In practical ways, how do we redeem the time? Ephesians 5.17 Do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. You see, the first thing we need to stop saying, I don't know God's will. Yes, we know what God's will is. He lays it out clearly. That His will is to expand His kingdom. That others might know. That others might be taken out of darkness and into the light of eternity. When Jesus first stepped into a synagogue, He laid out God's will. He said His will is to preach the Gospel to the poor. To heal the brokenhearted. To proclaim liberty to captives and the recovery of sight to the blind. Not just the physically blind, but the spiritually blind. That means that we believe, no matter who we're talking to, we believe that God can turn them around, no matter how wayward they are. We believe, even though we cannot see it right now, we believe that there's hope for all. That's the message that we take. It keeps us from judging. 
by demonstrating forgiveness, by offering grace, and speaking the truth in love. We are to set at liberty those who are oppressed and help lead people to Christ. This is what Christ has laid out for us. Ephesians 2, verse 10. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. Why were we created? For good works. It's our good works don't earn our salvation. Our good works, we don't do them to get favor with God. We were created to do that. God has laid them out for us, and too often the enemy gets us to look on ourselves and what we don't have. And God's saying, listen, I have prepared this for you, but you need to start walking circumspectly. You need to look around. There's people right under your nose that we just take for granted, and they need Jesus. They need encouragement. Our days are to be focused on the opportunities that God has created for us. Opportunities to share the Gospel. To come alongside those in need. And to pray with them. And to believe for them. And to be Jesus to them. Ephesians 5.18 And do not be drunk with wine in which is dissipation but be filled with the Spirit. It is by the leading of the Holy Spirit, by the gifts He bestows on us, and by the wisdom He instills in us that we redeem the time following His will. Which means we need to get involved in people's lives. Nancy and I are involved in many things that are not church-oriented to get involved in people's lives. Whether it's the rotary or working at other jobs, being in the schools, to just be there and to love on people. And then when a need comes, we follow God's will and we, we pray with people. And I know others of you do that as well, but, but God says, are you willing to get your hands dirty? Are you willing to go out and be involved in people's lives? And when I, when I give you an opportunity, are you willing to walk through that door and be Jesus to someone else? Because it's not about us. It's about them. And if we are led by the Holy Spirit, then God will give us opportunities to share His light in this world of darkness. Ephesians 5, verse 19. Speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to them in their hearts. We're supposed to encourage one another with the Word, which means we need to know the Word. A few months ago, when my wife and I were going through a very difficult challenge, we called some of our leaders together and, we, and they said, how can we help? And I said, I'll tell you how you can help. I need you to be in the Word and I need you to give us Word for encouragement. Don't tell me it's going to be okay. Don't tell me that things are going to get better. But give us Word because the Word changes and the Word encourages us. If we're in the Word, our desire is to give the Word to others. We need to give, that's what the Bible says, to speak to one another in psalms. We need to give each other what the Word says. And hymns and spiritual songs and singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. It seems so simple. Such an easy recipe to follow, to stay in God's will and redeem the time. Sharing the Word with one another. Singing and making melody in our hearts to the Lord. 
and constantly looking for opportunities to share the hope that we have that we've been given to people in need of His light and His love. Verse 20 and 21, giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another in the fear of God. God wants us to work together, to encourage one another, to not judge but just to understand and continue as we're speaking the Word, we're going to continue to grow together as one. A thankful heart is one who has no time to complain, no justification for any grumbling, no reason to follow after the desires of the flesh. For he or she is too busy thanking God the Father for all that they have. Especially in eternity with God. Colossians 4, five. Walk in wisdom towards those who are on the outside. Redeeming the time. The reason we are called to redeem the time is for those who have yet to come to Jesus Christ. God calls us to grow His kingdom and be His light in the world, not just inside a church building, but to be His ambassadors out there. Because as you know, there are many people right now who are claiming to be ambassadors for Christ who are defiling the name of Christ in this world. Jesus led by compassion. He led by understanding. He still gave truth. He, was, he never compromised the truth. But He got involved in people's lives. That was His priority. He didn't do all His preaching in the synagogue. Most of it was on the wayside in people's homes with tax collectors, with sinners, with prostitutes. Wherever the need was, Jesus went to them and didn't judge them. He just spoke the truth in love. But He got involved in people's lives. He is an example for redeeming the time. He lived 33 years on this earth. Three years in ministry. Changed the world. What are you doing with your time? How can you redeem the time that God has given you? We should start every morning by committing our day to the Lord and asking Him to help us do something that day that has eternal significance. I know we do things all the time, but God, give, have me do something today that has eternal significance. By beginning our day with eternity in mind, we become more aware of spiritual nudges on our hearts. We look for ways that we can honor the Lord and help someone else. Pray with someone. Utilize our time in productive ways. Sitting at a red light, we can pray for our neighbor. Mopping the floor, we can sing a worship song. At a restaurant, we can leave an extra big tip along with a Bible verse or a card that invites the waiter or waitress to church. We need to get involved in the lives of others. We need to put their needs above ours. God will take care of us if we take care of others. 
But we can't stop at merely meeting their basic needs. We have to give them Jesus. We need to be bold enough to offer prayer. Listen, I worked in the public school for 30 years. I'm not bragging, but as the Spirit has led, I've prayed with administrators and parents and students for 30 years in the public schools. We need to stop being afraid that this person might not want prayer or we might get in trouble. I'm not saying to to be unwise, but there are so many opportunities where people just need someone to come alongside of them, to hear you praying with them and for them. We need to be bold to offer prayer, to invite them to church, and to mentor them in how to go through challenges in a God-glorifying way. If you truly are a representative of the body of Christ, then you have a mission to fulfill. What are you doing to bring people to Jesus? What are you doing to redeem the time that God has so graciously given each of you? Lord God, do not let us lose sight of Your will in our lives. May we walk in Your love and grace and power to intentionally offer Jesus to this dying world in need of You. Heavenly Father, We thank You that You massage truth into us. We thank You that we, You have called us to be Your chosen. That we have responded to that message to reflect Your light. Help us reflect Your pure love, Your forgiveness, Your compassion, Your truth, and the promise of redemption. Help us to redeem the time, God, and for the time that we've wasted, for the days that we've squandered, for the minutes and moments that we've blown. Forgive us, God. We thank You for getting our attention today through Your Word to those all around us. God, we understand there's seasons of rest, but we commit ourselves to Your will as we walk circumspectly to see those who are in need of You. Help us by serving others to open a door, by showing compassion to open someone's heart for You to work on them and bring healing. Lord God, we lift up the students, the families, the Michigan State community for people all over the place who are going through a difficult time. We pray that they would know that You are the hope, that You are the healing, that You are the peace, and that You are their answer. We thank You for to be with us this day as You continue to shine through each one of us. In Your precious name we pray. Amen.